typically the most expensive type of tape. Yeah. It's a gaffer's tape. Oh. It's a sort of a heavy-duty cloth electrical tape. Right. Uh, I don't know if you know precisely what a gaffer is. Uh, I know it's for, like, taping down cables, right? Gaffers are the head electricians on movie sets. Well. Yes. Are they assisted by the best boy? They are! Yeah! That is precisely what a best boy is. Okay. Uh, That title does not change uh, regardless of gender. I see. Okay. Of the person carrying out the duties. I see. It's a genderless boy. (laughs) Yeah, I looked it up in case someone was asking us for tape and they wanted the most expensive kind. What do you know? Gaffer's tape. I've worked in... uh, I've done some live sound for shows hmm. before mm-hmm. where they had gaffer's tape and oh. they, they, um, the like old grizzled sound, uh, audio engineers were like, don't use all that tape. <laughs> it's expensive. It's expensive. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what they said. And now you've, uh, you've backed that up. Independent confirmation. <laughs> what do you know? I like how the old audio engineers at these shows are cut from the same cloth as, like, grizzled prospectors. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> and the, like, uh, sailors who are out to sea nine months out of the year. Do they have the same wind-battered face? Yep. <laughs> Even though they work exclusively indoors? Yeah, it's the it's from the um, battering of the uh, sound <laughs> from the loud instruments. Movement of air. They're just, like, sitting next to the subwoofer. for <laughs> Pulsating in front of them. Where's that? Where's that? <laughs> They're sitting there. How does this sound? <laughs> I had a I had a teacher when I went to the art institute who said that he created um, a speaker that was able to make um, sound waves that were less than ten hertz, um, which is really really low. And he said that he was able to turn up the amplification on them where it's like he couldn't hear it, but he could see things vibrating, and mm. he felt his like his eyeballs were going to pop out of his head. <laughs> So, wow. That's power. I feel like there's a supervillain weapon in there someplace. Uh, they could be called the gaffer. The gaffer. Yeah. Or Mr. Hertz? There, there we go. Okay. That's, there it is. H-E-R-T-Z. Yeah. There's a lot of puns you could throw in there, too. Like, I like the sound of that. Oh, my God. It writes itself. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Uh, all right, next week, our superhero movie. <laughs> Mr. Hertz. Well, I have to come up with a hero, but... I always liked the idea of, a, like, a really wimpy superhero, but who somehow gets the job done. Sort of like Abraka David, is that what his name is, on Adventure Time? My name is Abracadaniel! Abracadaniel, there we go. Okay. I don't know, I feel like some of the X-Men are pretty weak. Oh, yeah. Like... The, especially, like, if you go back to, like, the early comics, like, Beast was, like, just a guy with, like, big toes. <laughs> was he blue still? No, he was flesh-colored. Like, oh, he geez. he had, like, hairy knuckles, and he could pick up stuff with his feet. It's pretty weak. It's pretty weak. Um, I used to play this game, oh, I think I told you about this, where, like, with a friend where we try to pick the worst superhero superpowers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, one is, uh, being able to ooze margarita mixer from your hands. Just the mixer? Just the mixer, yeah. And, like, the gross store-bought corn syrupy super sweet stuff, not, like, fresh lime juice. Ugh. Yeah, that's a real select skill. Yeah, just imagine how grody your apartment would get. 
Well, did it ooze uncontrollably? <laughs> well, I imagine you can't constantly be in control of your superpowers. No, I think that is what, that's like the defining mark of a superpower, isn't it? That you can control it. Why'd they have that school at, uh, in X-Men? Why, what's it teaches that? you to hone your ability. Why, do, why, is, why is there schools in general? Mm. We all have the capacity for learning. It's, you know, this is where you go to hone them. Good point, good point. You know, it's not like you don't gain the skill of learning in school. Yeah, it's not like they taught Cyclops how to fly. <laughs> right. Oh, that's another one. Being able to fly, but only one inch off the ground, and you have to be in the um, horizontal position. I'd still do it. <laughs> and you can only go, like, three miles an hour. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, see, I thought, like, maybe if I went downhill, like, gravity would do the work for <laughs> maybe. me. Maybe. Okay, sure, I'll give you that. But, so but like, I couldn't go uphill. No. <laughs> I can only work with gravity. It's like it's like having an invisible skateboard. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I'm lying out on an invisible skateboard. <laughs> so if I want to float uphill, I have to claw my feet <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if I could do that. Can you imagine doing a, like a X game style Tony Hawk tricks? <laughs> I... <laughs> Or what if it really was like an invisible skateboard and like the part of you that floated was only from like hip to like <laughs> neck and you had to use your own muscle mass to like keep your legs and up? You'd have major back muscles. <laughs> uh, that might even work as the uh, as your superhero name, major back muscles. <laughs> I mean, what makes... I was thinking more like Captain Skateboard. <laughs> Captain Skateboard versus Mister Hertz. <laughs> Issue one didn't sell very well. Uh, I, th I think the hero in our superhero movie should be an X-Men type, or maybe Fantastic Four. We got Margarita Ooze-Man, yeah. uh, Captain Skateboard. Uh, I've always liked the idea of someone who was able to have their nipples detach and let the nipples kind of flop around and then do little tasks for them. The nippler? That would be... Uh, an especially useless power. <laughs> no, I it could know. like they could like creep in and um, spy. Maybe unlock, <laughs> pick locks. Wow, I it's been a while since I've seen your nipples, but I don't know. <laughs> They'd probably come back all hurt. I don't and know painful. if they can hold like picking needles very well. <laughs> Well, that's why they would go to the school to hone. You would go and hone this. Just the nipples, though. Yeah. <laughs> the host would stay at home. Yeah. I just picture these two nipples sitting at a desk taking notes. Kids are at school. <laughs> would it be a situation where um, the four Fantastic Four, it takes four of them to beat our one Mr. Hertz? Yeah. Mr. Hertz is tough. You've really gotten into treble now. I <laughs> love. There we go. That's the catchphrase. <laughs> he pushes over a building on him. And he goes timbre. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is coming up. We've got so many forks in the fryer. What's this thing? <laughs> Irons in the fryer. Irons in the fire. Uh, have you? Uh, did you? Did you see anything fun since the last time we met? Uh, yeah, actually, for as busy as I was, I saw actually quite a few things. Uh, I saw, uh, a film starring your, uh, your big crush, uh, Jay Stath. Oh, oh yeah? Uh, it was called Crank. Oh, I think I saw that. Uh, it, it's basically, like, speed inside his body where, like, he can't 
let his adrenaline get too yeah, low. That's right. It was like Axe Body Spray made a movie. Yeah. <laughs> this was like a Maxim listicle incarnate. <laughs> I saw that a hundred years ago. I really don't remember it. Uh, but your dude gets a boner in it and you see his butt. Yeah, well. There's I... also casual rape. <laughs> yeah, it was real bad. Okay. I would not recommend this. <laughs> I wanted to. I wanted to watch the sequel, uh, Crank Two. You got Crunk, but uh, it just wasn't in the cards. Oh, that's too bad. Uh, it was already checked out. At the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> popular title. I watched a whole bunch too because I was sick. Yeah. And so you know, what better thing to do but sit around and watch movies? And I watched. I did. I had a little Villeneuve of fun, oh, and okay. I did Prisoners and Enemy, um, and. Man, I just love that guy. Prisoners is a bit dour, if uh, memory serves. Prisoners is a real downer, and it does not have a moment of levity, really. <laughs> no. But um, it's just well made. And that, and that one is just, I feel like, a good, just a good film. It's mm-hmm. just well made, um, except for, like, some of the torture-punching scenes were a little off. But hmm. it's, good. it's a good movie. Um, but then I feel like he makes some creative leap with Enemy that I really liked. Yeah, Enemy, I've seen most of his films. There's like one or two of his really early stuff. Yeah. Like, I've seen everything from Polytechnique on. Okay. Um, and, yeah, that Enemy was like his most, you know, abstract, his most yeah. cerebral. Which of the two did you like better? I think Enemy. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Just because um, it's ambiguous, you know, of course. That's why, that's why I love it, you know? You do like your ambiguity. I also saw... Uh, a documentary mm-hmm. um, called Tickled. Did you oh, see this? Oh, yeah. I saw that at uh, SIF last year. Uh, it's a little bloggers, scary. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's funny because you watch the trailer for it, and that's what happens in the first 20 minutes of the movie, yeah. basically. And then it just spools off into this crazy realm. Yeah, it, it was a little scary. It, it's weird to think that, like, there's that underbelly going on. Yeah. It's also weird to think you, because, I mean, without giving too much away, the guy must get off on the blackmail as well. Mm-hmm. Because you could presumably just pay to see, you know, frat boys being tickled as a legit just expenditure. Sure. You know, you wouldn't need this whole shadowy operation. You could just say, right. this is what we do. Right. So he, he must get off on, like, the power imbalance there as well. Right. And there's definitely some, like closeted issues going on with this person that's like kind of makes the whole thing a little tragic yeah i mean ideally no one should be shamed for their you know uh their tastes right and so it's sort of unfortunate but it's it's one of those things like you know they're bullying him but this is a bully so it's one of you know i feel like they're more yeah they're bullying him for because he's the first email that that reporter got back was called him a faggot and it was just yeah like, that's your response i was just like you know trying to i was just asking some questions i just wanted to write like a fluff piece about competitive endurance tickling you know and to get <laughs> to get back this like we don't want to be associated with homosexuality you faggot is like okay now i need to know more about this yeah like that's i think that's justified yeah but yeah i'm really excited i was really excited to see that it was available to watch online because i've been wanting to see it for a while because you thought it was about young men being tickled. <laughs> hey, didn't you just say no judgments? 
Um, oh, Brian, that was 40 seconds ago. <laughs> <laughs> dive in should we introduce ourselves yes that's what i meant dive into the introduction <clears throat> welcome to x-rated uh my name is ryan whedon and i'm matt fisher we're your hosts uh where we talk about movies for the next tbd minutes yeah <laughs> maybe I'll, I'll use like the robot voice there <laughs> and today we will be talking about a little film called Match Points. Indeed. Uh, I like how it's our first Woody Allen film. You know, I like his films, except for that nervous fella is always in him. So here's a director, world-renowned for his comedies. Mm-hmm. And I chose probably his most serious film yeah. as our starting points. Yeah. So, uh, I hadn't seen this movie in a long, long time. Uh, probably eight or nine years. Oh, man. Uh... And I remember liking it then, and I liked it probably a little bit more now, even, like, on rewatch. I'm one of those people, though, like, even sort of bad Woody Allen films I kind of like. Yeah, I am a little bit on that on that field. Too. They're so watchable. Yeah. Because... Uh, He's a master of craft. Yeah, he also... One thing that I noticed, like, uh, at the very beginning, when, when the tennis balls are going back and forth, and, like... The one hits the net and he's talking about, you know, how life is a lot of luck and how sometimes the ball will go on the other side of the net and you'll win. Sometimes it'll come back and you lose. It's so rare in a Woody Allen film for there not to be people in frame. Oh, yeah. He really, if people aren't in frame, he's usually not interested in it. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons that why his movies are so watchful is because he really gets like these strong performances out of his actors. Sure. So you're kind of always watching it if you're not totally enamored with what's going on but because there's always somebody like doing something or saying something yeah you know it's i don't know they're just really easy to watch agreed he uh i definitely agree with um coaxing out great performances from his actors um and he's does he always write his his scripts too yeah he's like he's just he's good at dialogue Mm -hmm. um it, feel, it always feels natural to me. He's really collaborative. I saw a pretty long documentary on it. It was like a four-hour documentary on his on his works. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he He's not, like, married to his own dialogue. Oh, okay. Uh, he really encourages the actors to, like, say it in whatever way feels the most natural. Uh, and, you know, he's willing to try different shots, doing it different ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And really, like, work with the actors to, you know, see what is the most natural to come out. Cool. Yeah, it does, they always feel really natural. Yeah, I guess he he's, I don't want to say quick to fire, but, like, he has nothing against recasting, like, even oh. after starting filming. In Purple Rose of Cairo, it's Jeff Daniels who, like, comes out of the movie screen. Right. And, like, romances Mia Farrow, but it was originally Michael Keaton. Oh, wow. And they shot for, like, three weeks, and it just, like, wasn't working. Uh, so they recast it and reshot yeah. everything. And he's great in that. Yeah. Worked out really well. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he... I guess he's he really just hires actors to do their own thing. Like, he's not hiring people with the intent of, like, directing them. Yeah. Like Hitchcock style. He's more into, you know, hiring them because he knows what they can do and that they're right for the job. That's kind of interesting with this movie specifically because I read that um, he had tried to set it in Manhattan 
Okay. Or, or no, the Hamptons. Okay. But yeah. something something went wrong, and he had to do it in London. But because it was produced by like the BBC or something, he had oh. to hire um, all British actors. Oh, it. okay. So yeah, Sarah's not British, is she? No, and she was. There was someone else. Oh, um, I want to say Kate Winslet was going to play her okay. character, but she dropped out, and so they got ScarJo attached. Oh. And he just like rewrote the part to make her an American, and that was okay. I guess. Oh, okay. So, yeah. yeah, ScarJo, who she's roughly my age. She's about two months older than me. Okay. I only know that because I dated someone who shared her exact same birthday. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, like to the day. Nice. So she was. She, this isn't her strongest performance, but I also have to think that she was like nineteen when this movie was being made. Wow. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, you know, that's pretty good. Yeah, for a nineteen year old for yeah. sure. She gets she gets some subtlety in there, and she gets a flip out scene, and yeah. like she has lots of stuff to do. Yeah, yeah, she she did pretty good. She did pretty good. I do have to say though, watching it this time around, Jonathan Rice Myers is a pretty good actor. Yeah, there's like a scene <clears throat> after the deed is done when he's in the car and he like called his wife and like hung up, where his like hands start shaking and he's right. crying. I'm like, that's really good. I I'm really like I'm. I believe him. Yeah. He's good. He was a good choice for this character because he's got um, sort of, he's able to play kind of steely. Yeah. You know, like where you can't really read what's going on behind the face. Yeah. Um, and it's like, it takes his actions to really read the character. For example, like that first scene where he's playing ping pong with Scarlett Johansson and, uh, it's like, it takes until he kind of, like, there, there's, like, flirting going on, talking, but you're like, he'll never, like, hit, go over there or anything, and then he comes over and, like, puts his arm around yeah. and it's really close, and it's like, oh, you are that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so you kind of have to read him that way, which is, which is kind of fun. Yeah, watching it this time, I noticed that uh, even though Woody Allen's, like, known for his dialogue, there is a lot of nonverbal acting going on in the movie, so there's a scene where, where Jonathan Rice Myers, Chris, and Emily Mortimer, Chloe, they meet at the, at the opera. Okay. Uh, in, in that box. The first time they meet? Yeah. Yeah. And you hear the opera going, and they're all just sitting there quietly, but you kind of see, like, Emily Mortimer, like, kind of, like, turn her head towards Chris. Sure. Uh, you know, and there's no dialogue, but you get that feeling, like, oh, she's into him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it turns out they are. Or she is. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know... She can't compete with ScarJo, and then she's no. net. <laughs> yeah, what are you gonna do? It's sort of weird, um, like how love is kind of pushed off to the side. Like it's a really cynical look at love in this in this film. It's like it's either lust or like a marriage of convenience. Yeah. basically, um, there's no real romance so to speak yeah maybe like when they first start making out in the field when in the rain like it's sort of like it's almost like a fake like it's almost a joke even like the notebook yeah that's what i was thinking too sparks sort of (laughs) yeah um but after that it's really like you get some sensual scenes but like for the most part romance is dead in this movie yeah (laughs) um yeah chris is looking for like yeah either comfort or base desires right and like chloe has no problems buying her husband basically yeah she really doesn't she's like let daddy do this for you i just want a baby well they yeah. have that conversation 
near the beginning of the film and Chris is talking about how much luck plays into life. Right. And Chloe is like, oh, I think it's all hard work. It's like, well, of course you think that. You were <laughs> born rich. wealthy and your dad does everything for you. <laughs> I think it's important to be lucky in anything. Well, I don't believe in luck. I believe in hard work. Hmm. Oh, hard work is mandatory, but I think everybody's afraid to admit what a big part luck plays. I think, I mean, I don't, I don't really feel like Woody Allen's a real moralizer, but if there is a moral to this film, it would probably be, oh, if you're rich, you can get away with anything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jonathan Rice Myers, I do have to say this, he looks good from every angle. Mm. Woody Allen, like, he's known for making the women in his films look good. Like, even Kate Blanchett in Blue Jasmine, when she's drunk and disheveled, still looks pretty good the whole time. Yeah. Uh, you know, flattering lighting, good backlighting, you yeah. know, stuff like that. Uh, and it seems like he's able to translate that onto dudes, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would venture to say that this is the hottest I've ever seen him in a movie. Even over Velvet Goldmine? Even, oh, I was... Making out with Ewan McGregor? I was debating this on my bike ride over, and I was thinking, yeah, I think he, uh... There's something, there's something about him in this movie. And I want to say, and I guess this is kind of maybe tied into what you were saying earlier, the look of this film in general is yeah. gorgeous. Like, yeah. I don't know what he, what it is, but it looks just sumptuous and, like, just really... That's another, another aspect of Woody's films that I think people kind of overlook, mm -hmm. is this film, the cinematographer wasn't super famous. Like, I'd seen some of his other movies, but they weren't movies, like, known for it. Mm -hmm. But... You know, in his last movie, uh, Cafe Society, it's like the same cinematographer who did Apocalypse Now oh, wow. and like a bunch of Bernardo Bertolucci movies and stuff like that. Oh, man. Uh, Annie Hall had the same cinematographer as The Godfather. Wow. Uh, he really like chooses his cinematographer as well. Like yeah. he, it is important for him for like the movie to look good, like not just be entertaining, but yeah. to have like a depth and a feel to it it looked it, it looked really nice and there's almost like a soft edge to everything too which was mm -hmm. kind of nice mm -hmm. and i really liked that um in contrast to the music that he chose because it was all opera, opera but it was all like old scratchy versions of oh, opera did yeah. you notice that yeah um i don't know i don't know why i didn't really think of think about it too much but it was a nice contrast to the like warm feeling of all that and then this like sort of like kind of I guess it's warm to some people to hear like old and like the pops and stuff on a record but like it just felt I don't know it was a nice contrast in my, to me that, yeah I mean really old recordings because yeah they were listening to like uh, what's his name now famous old tenor uh, for the most part yeah uh, it's gonna come to me in like 10 minutes so alright <laughs> right as you're in the middle of a deep thought I'll come <laughs> Uh, Caruso. Okay. A lot of it was like Enrico Caruso. Okay. Stuff. Uh, but I mean that stuff it's like it was recorded in like 1910. So oh yeah. yeah it's well. gonna have pops and scratches and stuff like that. Like yeah. there's just no getting around it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah that is a good point. It, Cause yeah the movie looked good and then on top of it was sort of a you know pops and clicks and scratches and stuff like that. Yeah. It's just a nice contrast. Yeah it was a nice contrast. Uh and Matthew Good was also very attractive. I think Indeed. he's a cutie. Indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't get any shirtless scenes of him, <laughs> which is a fault. Yeah, the, the, 
if there is a failing to this movie, it's the total <laughs> lack of uh, homoeroticism yeah. between those two. Zero. I mean, I thought there was for a second when he's like, you like opera too? Yeah. And I was like, ooh. Romance. What's going to happen? And then it was like, oh, never mind. <laughs> Happens pretty quick that we realize, no, these guys are straight. Yeah. Um, which is fine. I mean. <laughs> Not every movie is just going to be my fantasy. Yeah. On film. <laughs> it's not always about me. You know that this is going to be a serious movie just by the opening credits. So Woody Allen for like 40 years has essentially the same opening credits. It's just the white text on a black background. Right. Over music. I think like every movie he's done since, you know, Take the Money and Run has been that way. Wow. Uh, but it's usually over jazz music. And I, I noticed this time, like, whenever he uses classical music, that means it's serious. <laughs> That's uh, his cue. <laughs> yeah, because some of his other serious stuff, like uh, Crimes and Misdemeanors, there's a funny story and a serious story. Uh-huh. And the serious story is uh, a backdrop of, of Schubert. Oh, okay. Or uh, as an old coworker of mine used to say, Schubert. I'm like, he's not <laughs> French. So, yeah, right at the opening credits. You know, even if I remember nothing about this movie, I'm like, oh, no, serious movie. Yeah, yeah. He ends it with the same song. Yeah. So I thought that was... it. Yeah. Um, it's a real... That first image is really is really great with the tennis ball, and then he repeats it later with the ring. Yeah. And I actually really like the last shot. I rewatched the last scene, like, when they're coming home with the baby. I was going to say where he's standing off to the side. Yeah, and just, like, it's cool because he turns... And looks to, I guess for us, he looks to the left um, and just like kind of out the window wistfully in a way. Yeah. Um, because that whole, there's a, there's a whole bunch of shots where he does, um, he moves the camera like starting at a point, moves to the left or right, and then moves back. Like, yeah. Like we're watching a tennis match, kind of. Oh, okay. okay. And then at the very end, it's kind of cool because he does, he moves over, and then you've kind of, like, been trained to think it's going to go back to the right from throughout the movie, but then he moves back, moves even further to the left, and then we see Jonathan Price Myers oh. looking off, kind of, sadly. I did notice the camera movement in this because... Yeah, now that you pointed out, I just noticed that, you know, it panned a lot more than, you know, an average movie. Mm-hmm. And I, now, that, now that you mention it, yeah, it is sort of like, you know, you're watching a ball going back and forth. Right. Uh, that's a good point. I felt like the dialogue kind of mirrored uh, tennis matches, too. There was a lot of, like, batting back and forth, specifically, like, the... Um, Nola and Chris scene their first one in the bar after she flunks her audition. Yeah. Um, I felt like there was a lot of like, well, why are you part of this family? And then you're like, well, why are you part of this family? You know? And it's like, it's a nice kind of like volleying of needling between the two. And it kind of felt like a tennis match a little bit. You're going to do very well for yourself. Unless you blow it. And how am I going to blow it? By making a pass at me. What makes you think that's going to happen? Men always seem to wonder. They think I'd be something very special. And are you? Well, no one's ever asked for their money back. That apartment they they moved into, the with like the floor to ceiling windows. Oh yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> that you know. I'm Overlooking like, like, I think it's Big Ben, isn't it? Yeah. Or yeah. Trafalgar Square. Or yeah. Something. Yeah. Uh, 
I might commit homicide for that apartment. So <laughs> that, you know, that's justifiable. That's why I was sympathizing with him. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a it's it's a great apartment. Uh Woody does murder like uh murder plots every now and again. Mm-hmm. And they usually are about it's usually murder and the person get, gets away with it. Yeah. And it's like them living with it. Crimes and Misdemeanor has it. Uh, Cassandra's Dream has like the... It's like the exact same story, just told differently. That one has Philip Glass as the soundtrack. Okay. Uh, Rational Man has it. I don't remember the soundtrack to that. But that was sort of a goofy take on the same premise. Okay. Uh, Are you calling him a recycler? or? Well, I guess this is... Uh, this notion is from Crime and Punishment. Like, he's obsessed with that book. Right. And I guess that immediate plot point or at least that story of, like, committing a murderer and getting away with it mm-hmm. comes from... I've never read Crime and Punishment. Yeah. I read a summary of it today, but... Who has the time? <laughs> that book's, like, 10,000 pages long. We've talked about this. This was back when, like, uh, you know... When you people were... had all the time in the world? <laughs> where you were either farming or reading? Yeah, and a thousand-page novel is, like, your summer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Woody Allen loves that book. Mm-hmm. And so he revisits that specific idea a lot, uh, just in sort of like, you know, from different angles. Right. Yeah. Crimes and Misdemeanors has it. Martin Landau's sort of the Jonathan Rice Myers type. Okay. And Angelica Houston is Scarlett Johansson. Oh, okay. Uh, and it's really good. Uh, and it's sort of nice that it's sort of bookend or not bookended, but complemented with a funny storyline as well. That, and they both meet up at the end. Sure. Uh, did you watch <laughs> the trailer for this? No. The trailer, like, it, you know, rightfully so, the trailer makes it look like a murder thriller, you know, which isn't but totally... No, yeah, point. I didn't know that was going to happen. I'll be honest, I didn't know the murder was going to happen. Uh, but it, the trailer doesn't say Woody Allen until, like, the last second. And even then it just kind of flashes, like, a film by Woody Allen. And then just, like, fades away oh, real man. quick. <laughs> it's like, no one believed that he directed this movie. Yeah. He'd been sort of in the woods for a while. Like, he hadn't made a good movie in, like, ten years. And then he made this movie. That seems to be the consensus, where it was like, oh, he's finally coming out of something. Yeah, I mean, he went back in, but... (laughs) He makes one movie a year, Layoff. I know, yeah. I was... Oh, yeah, speaking of... I was looking through his filmography, and uh, I haven't really been paying attention to Woody Allen for a while now. Um, And if you stop paying attention to a director who's making a film a year... And, like, for the last, you know, 15 years or so that I haven't been paying attention, you're missing out on a lot of movies. Yeah. There are a whole bunch of us, like, I haven't even, I haven't even heard about this one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess if you're working on a movie, one movie a year, how do you even do that? Like, he must be pre-producing while finishing up. Like, he must finish and then, like, Just, on to the next yeah. one. Yeah. He also plays in a jazz band every Monday. Jeez, what does he play? Clarinet. No, that sounds bad. They, they toured a couple of years ago, my mom's song. Oh. Were they any good? She said they were really good, yeah. Ooh. Good for him. Yeah. Too busy. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. God, this is another, just like last week, uh, another director that, like, just keeps keeping busy and, like, churning them out in ways that I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he. He has sort of a charming way of getting actors, like, uh, he doesn't do a lot of auditions. He mostly, which makes me think he must be watching 
contemporary movies, even though like I don't get a contemporary vibe from any of his movies. Yeah. He must still see them because he usually will type he's got like an old like Rand typewriter mm-hmm. uh that he types letters to his actors and it's always like I saw you in this and I thought you were really good and I have a part in my next movie that I thought you would be right for and I was wondering if you'd be interested in doing this. Wow. Like, yeah. I mean, like, he'll do that to even actors that he's worked with before. Uh, like, I think it was, like, Josh Brolin. was like, you might remember we made a movie together called <laughs> So-and-So. And, you know, if you'd be interested, I'm writing a new movie. And I thought, you know. How polite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's nice. Because, yeah, that, like, I don't want to assume that you remember making this movie yeah. with me. <laughs> you know, making a movie is just a small affair. Yeah. You know, in and out. It's, it's outpatient surgery. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're big enough to be in a Woody Allen movie, probably just churning them out. Yeah. So, I wanted to. I wanted to say. See, look, I didn't even know the murder was going to take place. I wrote murder because <laughs> it ha- it's like it was surprising to me. Like I just I wasn't sure, and I read a couple reviews that said like, "Oh, this is easy to tell where this is going," and I guess it's because like maybe I didn't know what Crime and Punishment was about or, oh, or yeah. whatever, but it was just like. I didn't know there was that he was going to do that, and I thought it was really it was kind of shocking for me, especially when he killed the neighbor. Yeah, it's just like no, because he's like fumbling to get the shotgun together. I it's thought, so tense. I thought she was going to come out and be like, "What are you doing?" and then like call him out, and then it was all going to fall apart. But no, he just goes and kills her. Yeah, it. it spoiler alert. Uh, ding. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd forgotten how tense that scene is because I'd forgotten that part of it. Like I knew the second step of his plan. But I'd forgotten that he does that first. Yeah. And then and then the way that it unfolds... I remember when I saw this initially, and he's sort of revisited by them. I Years and years ago, I thought that was so corny and dumb. But I watch it now, and I think it's because I've seen like the trope of like being revisited by the ghosts of your past. Right. Uh, that it's sort of almost like he's confronting that trope. Yeah. It's like, you know... Marley's ghost is coming back to to haunt him, and he's like, "Nope, not, <laughs> not gonna do it." You can't. I'm uh, I'm above that now. Yeah, uh, and I, yeah, I thought that was a good way. Like, I thought it was a very smart way to like brush off that trope. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, Marley and his chains come rattling, yeah. and he's just like, "Nope, not not gonna let it affect me." That's what I mean by this movie is really cynical. Yeah, um, in that like. He doesn't even have a traditional conscience in the way that, like, killing two people would make you feel. You yeah. Know? Like, um, he he is visited by the ghost, and instead of, like, having some sort of, like, come-to-Jesus moment or something, he just brushes it off and is like, no, it was justified. I had to, I had to keep, you know, everything together. I mean, you definitely get the idea that he's not happy with himself right at the end but able to live with yeah. himself <laughs> yeah yeah you know he everyone else is happy you know uh they got the baby finally and yeah oh my god i, I, I might cut this out I, I was debating on whether or not i wanted to talk about this but like i hate babies i no i have a strong opinion against people who uh, our fertility people who mm-hmm. like 
have to have a baby that's like comes out of their body. Oh yeah, she was like, like adamantly against adoption. Oh yeah, that, they at her friend is like, have you ever considered adoption? She goes, I want my own. And it's yeah. like, I just like flames I, on the side of my face. <laughs> I hate that so much. She is like a little prissy and a little spoiled she's though. Awful. I know. I know. And you know, she's so she gross. Only wants you know the finest things. I, I thought her spoiledness was very subtle. Like, it wasn't, like, her throwing a tantrum. It was just she refuses to, like, compromise on things. Right, because she's never had to. She's Yeah. And, and then it, and if it ever does come down to a fight, she just goes, Daddy, yeah, fix it. Well, it was also, like, the way that she would look for Chris. Like, yeah. when they were in, like, just the Just shouting. Just, just, like, wandering around the matter going... Chris, have you seen Chris? Have you seen my husband? Have you seen my fiance? Oh, she was so annoying. And it's like, just, he's probably hiding from you. Like, just be cool for a little while. Yeah. Like, yeah, she definitely had that, like, needy, like, I have to know where he is at all times. Yeah. I mean, in this situation, she probably should have. She, I don't know, she, she, drove, she drove me nuts. Not that like Scarlett Johansson was the was the no she was either. the opposite like she was unstable and <laughs> yeah. irrational and moody mm-hmm. like at least with the avian bone girl like you knew what you were in <laughs> for but uh, yeah Scarjo uh, Nola yeah like nobody would know who knows yeah I just wanted to say that <clears throat> even I've seen this movie once before but like the way that the I don't want to say climax but how the after the deed mm-hmm. unfolds when he like goes to the police station right when he denies any interactions with her and they hand her that diary right like my chest gets all tight again right and then there's like a little like moment of relief like it seems like he might be out of the woods right and then he's not and then he is yeah like, that up and down, like, still, like, gets my blood rushing, even though I know how it's going to play. The last half hour is super twisty. Yeah. Plot twisty, and it's it's fun. Because then it's like, it goes back to the main theme of this, of, like, what is lucky. Yes. You know? And, like, it constantly is being redefined. Because you see, you see him throw, there's that, you know, repeat shot that we have from the beginning with the tennis ball, mm-hmm. and you sense it falls in the same direction... I guess it's ambiguous in the beginning. I just assumed that that was like a a bad fall. Yeah. Um, but uh, the the ring falls the same direction, and you since it didn't go in the river, you know you feel like oh that's bad for him. Which is definitely when the first time I saw it, that's the way I interpreted it. Like oh, this is him losing. Right. But but I guess is... it depends on what side you're on. You yeah. Know? So I think that maybe that's sort of something he's pointing out. So like luck is basically. It can go, you know, it's not just which way the ball hits, it's also what side of the court you're on, it's like... I, I mean, you can say that... your upbringing is, you know, it can keep expanding that. Yeah, you, you can say that, like, the execution of those scenes, like, wasn't subtle, but, you know, I mean, a lot of times in movies you'll see, you know, a scene some either in the beginning or near the beginning, and then you'll see it mirrored later, mm-hmm. and sometimes you don't even notice it. Right. Or you'll only notice it on rewatch, and the way that it was handled here is even when you're watching it the first time... Like, that first scene and then the scene with the ring are, you know, married in your head, essentially. Like, yeah. y- you know immediately what that scene is calling back to. Right. Uh, it's a broad stroke, but it's it's great. I mean, it, yeah, I, I, it works like so it. well. And it 
you know, the story wouldn't work without it, so it really kind of has to work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it does, and I feel like it works so well. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it really sticks the landing. Right, because it makes you feel like he's lost. Yeah. But if that ring hadn't fallen that way, then they wouldn't have been able to place the junkie at the scene. Yeah. And, like, so it actually is a good thing that it fell that way, but you don't know that when it's doing it, and so, like, it just it just sets up that whole ending twistedness, which is fun. Yeah. And, and he, even when he's talking to the officers... They're talking about how, you know, he wants to hide his affair. Right. You know, he's like, don't punish me for trying to just hide an extramarital affair. And they're like, well, we're not here to, like, you know, make a, you know, judgments on anyone. Like, we're just investigating a crime. Uh, Well, and fuck them, too. Because it's (laughs) like, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, a heroin junkie? Yeah, that's probably accurate. But, like, a guy trying to cover up his affair, you know, like, because he's rich, it felt like, again, that's where, like, I feel like if there's a moral to the story, it's like, Rich people get away with everything. Yeah. <laughs> That's lucky, being born into whatever. He had to work his way into wealth by marrying rich. Someone tweeted at us I think your friend yes tweeted at us that we need to come up with a way to get we need to brainstorm how to get Helen Mirren a Grammy yeah (laughs) so she can be an EGOTer yeah uh she's just so talented she is just so talented have we ever heard her sing I mean I have not no (laughs) alright we're gonna remake Mamma Mia show play we're gonna do a British Mamma Mia She'll play Meryl Streep's part. Okay. Do does do we want to keep it as um, an ABBA themed thing, or should we use a British band? What's a British keep it band? Super that British. Be... Spice Girls. Uh, Erasure. <laughs> all right, Spice World Two. She plays all of their mothers. <laughs> she just had them with different men. And so she's. She, it's so... a it, it's a it's a sync to mom thing. She got nailed by five guys all in one day, and they all, like, their sperms impregnated five different eggs. (laughs) So she gave birth to five of them all. This is going to have to be a really good version of Spice Up Your Life (laughs) that she sings. Because if we're going to win a Grammy, (laughs) maybe we can get, like, a... Um, who's who's a popular producer these days? Music producer or film producer? Uh, music. Uh, Timberland? I don't even think I said that right. <laughs> oh, jeez. I don't Skrillex. know Skrillex. <laughs> is he British? I don't know. I don't know. Will he win a Grammy? Is he Grammy worthy? Yeah, he won a Grammy. Hmm. That was one of the questions that I used to ask on uh, job interviews. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Has Skrillex ever won a Grammy? What was it for? Uh, like Best Electronica or Best Remix. Oh, yeah, it was Best Remix or something like that, huh. yeah. They have a Best Remix Grammy now? Yeah, you know, Grammy, they try and, you know, stay with it. Man. So, uh, watching Matchpoint inspired me to, uh, come up with my own murder mystery movie. Oh, okay. Uh, got the notes right here. These are great. I love it when you use that notebook. <laughs> so it's an erotic thriller. Okay. So, it's, it's... 
you know, sort of a young, naive, hot gay boy. Okay. Works as a bartender. At least 21. Okay. And one day he's approached on Grindr Mm -hmm. by a guy that does not have his photo as his profile pic. Uh, Saying, hey, I've seen you working. You know, I think you're hot. Blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Wants to buy an article of clothing from him. Okay. So they work out where you can go to like an Amazon Dropbox or something. Leave the article of clothing and in the Dropbox is some cash. Sure. So goes, opens it up, takes cash, leaves his undies, whatever it is, takes off. Mm -hmm. Gets approached again and is like, hey, you know, undies are great. You know. (laughs) Uh, Wants more. Okay. Uh, Asks for some of, you know, something more intimate. Pubes. So, you know. Okay. Uh, gives himself a Brazilian, leaves the hairs in the Dropbox, takes the cash. Sure. Then eventually he asks for some semen. Wants at least 10 cc's. Okay. Full, full vial. So he does it. You know, gets even more cash, you know. Young, is he conflicted kid. at all so far? Like, is, he does could he have a, be. Does he have a best friend that he's like, I know this is weird, but... A fruit fly? Yeah. Or it can be just, you know, another gay friend that is just like... Like they're like, why? Where are you? Why are you able to buy drinks all of a sudden? And like, where are you getting all this money? And then he can be like, all right, let me, let me tell you guys. I will incorporate that into my rewrite. Okay. <laughs> uh, but after he drops off the semen, there's a murder in town. Oh God! Not just a murder, a rape murder. And whose semen is inside the victim? Oh no! His. Oh no! Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I don't have the rest of the movie. Oh, okay. The notes I have is uh, for the ending is, and then he removes his mask and he's a lizard person too, <laughs> fade to black. So we'll have to work out a third act. But... Yeah, that seems like the end of act two for sure. Uh, basically, that first page you read there is um, we've got the trailer ready, <laughs> yeah. ready to go. We could get an Amazon tie-in if we use the Dropbox. I'll give Jeff a call. <laughs> Jeff, what's up? It's Ryan. Uh, Who? <laughs> click. <laughs> Damn it. Beep, boop, 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 beep, beep. <laughs> Jeff, hey, I think our connection got cut off. <laughs> we'll call it a, a Fresh Prime or some Amazon Fresh Prime. <laughs> uh, I'm pict- I, I, I'll be honest with you. This seems a little more in the vein of, um, of a Schlockfest. I'll, uh... Socket? <laughs> sure. Hey. It's coming up. Don't worry. We'll get there. <laughs> season three is full of surprises. I'm glad that we're referring to them as seasons <laughs> now. Should we, should, should we let the audience know that that's what we're doing? They'll pick it up. Okay. <laughs> but before we get to season three, we have to do um, our season two... <laughs> Season finale, uh, which I'm I'm pretty excited about this. I'm really excited about it. I was excited about the last one too, and that one went horribly (laughs) awry. Uh, Let us never speak of it again. (laughs) Uh, This week, this one can't go bad, right? That's a bold statement. Oh God, yeah, I've jinxed us. (laughs) 
Uh, we're doing Heathers, followed by Jawbreaker. Some classics of late 80s and 90s teen angsty murder drama. Murder cinema. <laughs> High, yeah. High school murder cinema. Yeah. Heathers and... Jawbreaker. Jawbreaker. A... <laughs> For our season two finale. Yes. Junk plugin. Junk plugin. Uh follow us at Twitter at X Rated Movies. Mm-hmm. Uh follow us on Facebook. Check out our Facebook page. It's rated X Movies. Uh you can email us x.rated.movies at gmail.com. And uh rate review subscribe on whatever service you're using. Yeah. We love we love ratings, we love reviews. And um tell your friends yes. if you're having fun along with us. Because we're having a ball we, over here. A little too much fun sometimes. <laughs> Maybe, but try and stop us. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>